The Old Testament for this third Sunday after Pentecost is recorded in Ezekiel chapter 47, beginning the first verse. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate, facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the, water, wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eniglium. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Here ends the Old Testament. The fulfillment of this prophecy is from the epistle from Revelation chapter 22, beginning verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the life, of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 4, beginning the first verse. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a place in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. He rends the Holy Gospel. Well, someday Lucas will toddle up here. Okay, all the little people, unless they're all on vacation. Are they all on vacation? No. You can come up right front with me. Are the rest hiding? Kevin, I see you. (laughs) Now, come on right up with me. I was hoping that it would be really, really, really hot today. Because there have been some summers here when it's been so hot that even with the air conditioner full on, everybody's sweating. How's that? So is anybody thirsty now that I've talked this way? Jesus had a long journey. He was walking. It was hot, very hot. They wore long robes, and he gets to this place called Sychar at the sixth hour. That's high noon. My wife is now out in Albuquerque, New Mexico to a ladies' gathering And every day it was supposed to be between 105 and 110 degrees. How's that? And she's supposed to take a little mission walk late in the day, which sounds terrible to me. All the ladies get their own bottle of water, but not you guys. From ancient times and even in Jesus' day, water would come up by a big bucket. First of all, does this, this water look good? 
Does this water look good? What's wrong with it? You, you think there's dirt in it? Oh, that's just rust. Your grandpa's told me that the water up at the cabin is kind of like this, and he thinks it's good for him. Do you drink it? <laughs> My old relatives told me out in western Iowa that when they'd go out in the field to do work, they'd bring a big bucket like this, of water from the well. But to keep it cool, they wouldn't put a, a top on it. So there was a chance that, uh, well, maybe a maple leaf or... What's that? Mulberry. A little dirt. That is dirt. A few sticks. How about we just dump the whole thing in? Good water. They used a dipper. If you wanted a drink, you had to come to the bucket and they'd slosh it around. Get a good one here. Yeah. Kevin, if you're thirsty, would you drink that? No. No. You could kind of suck around those things. What do you think I'm going to do? <gasps> ah, that's good stuff. Now, what if I slobbered all over the edge of it? But I got you good, clean water. But what if I slobbered all over it? Would you drink it then? No. <clears throat> See, that's the problem... Jesus has. He's in a place <clears throat> where everybody is, in a spiritual way, unclean. This lady that comes out is so bad that even her neighbors won't have anything to do with her. She has to come out at high noon to get some water out of the well just to stay alive. But even her own friends and neighbors hated her. They thought she was a terrible lady. And in fact, she was. But we'll hear about that later in the sermon. The point is that Jesus shows love even to her. And he's willing even to drink some of her ghastly water. But he promises her better water than this. He says, I can give you water that's living. In fact, when you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. But it will become part of you and continue to well up and give you this water of life so that you'll live forever. That's actually, in a sense, what happened in baptism. Little Lucas received the water of life the first time. And as he grows, he'll hear more about the water of life, which is Jesus himself. And once it's there, you're always being refreshed. No matter how thirsty you get because of sin, you'll always have this living water. Well, 
Last chance. Anybody want a dipper drink? Okay, I don't blame you. Go back. Oh, um, okay. Oh, I'm so rude. Anybody out there thirsty? Okay. You get the picture. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, I hope at least you are warm enough to think about drinking water. Are you? I am not going to put the air conditioning on, on purpose, so there. We're told that an average person can live maybe three days without drinking water. But that's in a normal situation up here, up north. If you lived in Jesus' part of the world with the hot sun and the dryness, <clears throat> you might live a day or so and then go into cramps and convulsions. And dying of thirst is a rather horrible way of dying. This picture of being thirsty and the necessity of water is a picture of our situation. Now, Jesus had been doing a long journey, and he is very thirsty. <clears throat> and there's no way, at least the lady can see, that he can get down to the bottom of this very good well. Not like that kind of water, but good stuff. Jews and Samaritans don't have close dealings with each other. Only in trade and business they might dare to talk each other. But when they made a deal, they did not they did not do that. They would bow, but they wouldn't touch each other. And if they could talk at a distance to make a deal, that was even better. Because Samaritans were evil, foul, wicked people, and the Samaritans thought the Jews were the same way. When they would meet on streets, they didn't spit into the hand. They'd spit at. So Jesus seems to be helpless. He's sitting by the well. He has no way of getting any earthly water. And he does the amazing thing because this woman has come out to get water for herself at high noon. Nobody went out at high noon to get water unless you were absolutely desperate. The reason she is desperate is, as we find out at the end of this story, Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have, you have had five husbands, and the guy that you now have, and that's not language for marriage either, that's language of shacking up, the man you have now is not your husband. He at least gives her credit for being truthful. Do you remember what the penalty was for adultery? It was death by stoning. The Samaritans had the same laws which they inherited from the Old Testament. This lady was now on her sixth husband. She was six times over a dead woman. Not merely dead, 
But to be stoned to death for adultery meant that you not only gave up your soul, your spirit, but you were condemned to hell itself, according to their understanding. That Jesus even comes and speaks to her is an amazing thing. And he comes to her very weakly. It's not as though he seems like an important person at all. But in the middle of all of this, he gives her a great promise. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, indeed. During times of drought, during times of warfare, many wells have become polluted, even the best of them. Death by water was one of the common ways that people died in the ancient world. Dysentery, other diseases. Whoever drinks strength of this water will thirst again. In other words, you have another good chance the next time you have to draw from this well that you're going to die from this water sometime later. Earthly water cannot ultimately keep you alive. But, says Jesus, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. What in the world is this? She can't even comprehend it. The water that I give him will become within him a spring, literally an artesian bubbling well that comes up from down deep in the earth. A bubbling spring that continues to be welling up, not to give you earthly life, but eternal life. By nature, we are thirsty, spiritually thirsty. We try everything out there. Grand Rapids, which was once known as the city of churches, is now known as the city of church hopping. They try this church, then that church. They don't feel contented. They don't feel the Spirit or feel something. So they have to try another and another and another and another, and they church hop all their life long. Grand Rapids, by the way, is notorious for that. They can't find what they're looking for because probably they're looking for the wrong thing. Just after our text, this lady tries to justify herself by getting into an argument about where do you worship Jesus? We Samaritans don't worship in that hellhole of Jerusalem with all those corrupt priests, with all that rotten system of making deals for sacrificial animals, changing money so the rate got the money into the treasury. There's a big argument. She's trying to say that your way of worshiping in Jerusalem is totally and rotten and corrupt. The soul that gets into that is certainly going to die. Jesus is not into that argument. Where she is worshiping at Mount Sychar is just as bad off as Jerusalem. It is not a where question. It is a who question. If Jesus comes to you with the offer, the gracious gift of eternal life that will continue to well up within you, pure, if that is something that your, your heart finally has by God's grace, then you've found the natural place to worship. If you want to argue about legalism, 
how to justify yourself, which is what she's trying to do just after the text. You are dead. You're dead before you begin. Unless that place where you happen to worship talks about the gospel and the gift of eternal life which Jesus gives graciously, you never will have any contentment, never will slake your thirst for forgiveness. Jesus does. Jesus sat by a well. In the early church, they often called the baptismal font the well of eternal life. Where do you find Jesus? Here first, because it has to do with the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is not our activity, certainly not Luke's activity. He wasn't doing much of anything, thankfully. He wasn't crying or doing other things. But here in this simple place is where Jesus finds you. That's the way it is with Christ all the way through. His word comes to you. That's the place of eternal life. So long as you're looking for his gift of forgiveness, which he gains at the cross, another terrible yet awesome place where Jesus is found. Not in glory, not in earthly power or significance, he calls his disciples to take up their cross daily and to joyfully follow him. That's worship. But where do we find Christ crucified and risen? In the simple foods of the ancient world. Simple bread, simple wine, which they eat at almost any meal. Yet it's not what you're receiving as mere earthly food. Of the bread, he says, this is my body. Of the blood, he, of the wine, he says, this is my blood given and shed for the remission, that is the forgiveness of sins. Wherever Jesus finds you, no matter how lowly and simple, there is the natural place of worship. As you believe that he's come to give you these gifts by his undeserved love, the natural outpouring then is to respond in worship, that is, in thanksgiving and in serving. The woman at the well at this point is just confused, but after he tells her exactly how many husbands she has had, she then goes into town and tells everyone. How many of you welcome into your house any time of the day or night anybody who knocks on your door? No? What if they're wearing a, a suit and a tie and a black tie? You'll probably run away and say, oh no, it's a Jehovah Witness. Oh no, it's a Mennonite or something. Jesus comes to us very unobtrusively. In this case, when she realizes what he can do and what he knows about her, she now comes to her town. These are the very people that had nothing to do with her. That's why she had to get the water at high noon because to go early in the morning when good people went, they never would have given her anything. In this situation, once she has met this Lord who promises her 
life which continues to well up again unto eternal life, she now has the audacity to come to them. Uh, who's the worst person here? Anybody want to volunteer? Oh, Lauren wants to volunteer. He's just pulling my leg. Okay, stand up, Lauren. If you were the most mean, despicable, foul, ugly, hateful, spiteful, how many other words should I use? Self-righteous person. That's who this woman now comes to. She comes to her city, which has rejected her because they see only her sin. But now she has the water of life, this gift that wells up to life eternal, and now she's coming to them and saying, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. And she's telling everybody like that. The end of the story, which gets rather long, is they go out. Thank you, Lauren. You're not as bad as they say. <laughs> they then go out to see Jesus where he's at because apparently he's still at the well. And in the end, the story says, we believe not because of her testimony, because we ourselves have heard and have come to believe that this is the promised Messiah who brings eternal life. So little Lucas has received the water of life today. And he'll get to keep drinking it through God's Word. He received it in baptism, later on the Lord's Supper. It will continue to well up within him, finally to eternal life. If Jesus comes to you, therefore, in even the simplest of ways, listen to the promise that he gives whether he comes in a cheap styrofoam-looking thing or a fancy chalice on an altar, makes no difference. That you believe who he is and the gift he comes to bring, then you have exactly what he promises, eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds unto unto life everlasting. Amen.